Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Pickaxe Podcast, a brand new podcast presented by Denver Stiffs. I am your host, Adam Matas. Seated to my left is Zach Mikash. Zach, how you doing? I'm doing good, Adam. Thanks for having me on. It's a uh, first podcasting experience, so I'm excited to be here with you guys. Excellent. Seated right to my right is the founder of DenverStiffs.com, the big stiff himself, Andy Feinstein. Hey, Adam, thanks for putting this together. We are long overdue, and I'm just honored and thrilled to be here for... Zach's virgin, I should have said made a, may I say, virgin voyage in the podcasting world. <laughs> the first of hopefully, hopefully many. Hopefully. Uh, we're recording tonight live at Jake's Food and Spirits at 3800 Walnuts, a great Denver sports bar here in the uh, in North Rhino uh, part of town, right across from the train station to DIA, which opens up next Friday. Been working on that for a couple of years. What can you tell me, Andy? Well, it's really exciting for us here at Jake's. I mean, one of the reasons we did Jake's uh, was because we wanted to have, have close proximity to the station. Five minutes from Union Station, 30 minutes from DIA. It's a $9 ticket to get to the airport. Opens on Friday the 22nd. We're going to have lots of festivities here that weekend, so definitely come by Jake's. We're a block away from a new train station. We're excited. Awesome. Well, before we begin, uh, on behalf of the staffs at, uh, at DenverStiffs.com, I just want to say thanks for tuning in to our first ever episode of this podcast. We've been discussing launching a podcast like this for a while, and we have some excited things planned for this summer. Um, so stay tuned. If you want to make sure to never miss an episode, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And if you want to help us out, you can go ahead and rate our podcast with Four or five stars, whatever the highest amount of stars is, 100 stars. I'm not sure how many it is. But go ahead and rate it on, on iTunes. It'll help uh, people find our, bl- our, our blog and our podcast. So stay tuned for exciting stuff. Let's jump right into it, guys. We're recording this on the eve of the final game of the season for the Denver Nuggets. It's been a very interesting year in a lot of different ways. A lot has happened. It's been a changing of the guard season. Uh, let me get, let me turn to you first, Andy. W- what is the first thing you think about when you think about the 2015-16 Denver Nuggets? Well, the phrase I would use is culture change. I mean, you're talking about a 180-degree difference from last season. You know, it's easy to pick on Brian Shaw. You know, as they say, success has a, th- has a thousand fathers and failure is an orphan. And we all kind of made Brian Shaw the orphan <laughs> of uh, sure. failure for the Nuggets last year. But uh, there, was a, there were some cancers on that team. I think Ty Lawson was mu- a much bigger cancer than any of us realized. I mean, look, he basically sunk the rocket season. Right. And, um, <clears throat> you know, Mike Malone coming in uh, almost overnight, changing the culture. You know, I think people forget that he's the son of Brendan Malone, who's one of the most respected longtime assistants in NBA history. You know, he was an assistant coach for Mike Fratello's Hawks in the 80s, Chuck Daly's Bad Boys in the late 80s, early 90s. 
And that's the world that Michael Malone grew up in. And he's a seasoned, seasoned guy, but he's young. You know, he's 42. He's not much older than me. And I just thought he brought a seriousness and a respect for basketball that hadn't been here for a while. And so, again, that's the phrase I would use is, is culture change. And, and it's interesting that we have Moutier, we have Jokic, and we have Malone as new faces in the organization. And, I, and your first comment was, was really towards Malone, and I think rightfully so because of how the culture changed. We were talking a little bit before the podcast began about – how you know last year was such an abysmal year and a lot of times when you have a really down year like we did last year it kind of lingers for years and years and years and it's kind of a testament to Malone and, and, and to the team and the front office and everybody involved that as bad as last year was we really haven't talked about that since October or November sure. since the start of the season because there's so much other stuff to talk about good stuff to talk about that we're not really dwelling on the past I think that's a we're not dwelling on the past but I just want to interject on one thing I think the you know we we don't dwell on the past because we're ner- Nuggets nerds and <laughs> we're going to watch the D team whether they're zero and eighty two or eighty two and zero right right but <clears throat> but the average fan in my opinion uh, the you know the the brush from the last two seasons has tarnished this season and to the average fan it all kind of goes together they don't know who Michael Malone is right they don't know the difference between you know. All they see is no more playoffs, no stars, and I think it's affecting them. I know we're going to talk about that later in the show, but I do think that we're looking, unfortunately, at a three-year dark period here. Even though we know right. from a, uh, what do you want to call it, a subtle standpoint or an insider standpoint that there's a lot of good things going on here, and Denver should be embracing this team. Unfortunately, most of Denver's not. And it will be interesting to see how long that lingers, how, how, how long we'll have attendance and things like that. But we're going to get into that a little bit later. Zach, what, let me go to you real quick. What is your first thought when you reflect on the Denver Nuggets 2015-16 season? I mean, I feel like it's, it's, it's the development, uh, the development of the youth. And not, not only actually development of the youth, but also development of the coach. you got to remember, I mean, Mike Malone has only been a coach for the Kings for what, maybe it was two and a half seasons? One, one and, and a half, half seasons? Yeah, so one and a quarter. So he's he's still learning as well, and then you've got uh, I mean Moutier. You know he's going to have not to, not to interrupt you, but he's going to have a longer tenure with the Kings than George Carl is most yes. likely. <laughs> most yeah, almost undoubtedly. But uh, you know I mean, and you look at Emmanuel Moutier, who basically was an unreal amount of expectations was put on him as a 19 year old who was who was given the keys to an offense. Um, and maybe maybe he hasn't developed as, as everyone hoped. You know, a lot of hopes for rookie of the year. Uh, for him and it, and that didn't work out, but I think he's he's shown progression this year. And then you look at a guy like Nikola Jokic, who's who's improved leaps and bounds far more than anybody even in the organization would right. would expect. So development is, I think, was the key to this season, along with the culture change, like the Andy was talking about. And I, I'd say they were fairly successful with it. You know, when I think of it, it's going to be all of those things as well. I think the culture is the biggest thing. I I've got my credential for the first time last year, right around the time Brian Shaw was being fired. So I saw the the very end of the Brian Shaw era, and that was an unhappy team. It was an awkward locker room. You could tell. I mean, I think it was February when I first went to a Nuggets game. Maybe January. The team was very uh, unfocused and unhappy. And I think you see there now. There was a game. I think it was the game that Axel Tupan got his first ba- NBA basket. His first right, basket as right. NBA player. That's all anybody wanted to talk about. The Nuggets won the game. Everybody in the locker room, from from the top down, you know, Emmanuel Moutier, uh, Gary Harris. All they wanted to talk about was Axel Tupan's first bucket and how excited they were. Cool. And that's like. That's the kind of stuff that's really cool to see. That's a young team coming together. Um, the other thing I think I'll think about is how young this team got. We weren't an old team last year, but you look at the roster. We started the season with Gallinari, Wilson Chandler, Kenneth Fareed, Jameer Nelson, Randy Foy. Jameer Nelson J. J. got Hickson. hurt. J.J. Hickson got bought out. Randy Foy got traded. Um, Danilo Gallinari got hurt. Fareed missed a lot of games. And now we're looking at lineup with Moutier, Jokic, Axel Tupan, Jakar Sampson, Nurkic. I mean, the whole lineup is 23 years old and younger. Um, so when I think back to it, this is a really, really young, really, really exciting uh, Nuggets team. Andy, do you think the team overachieved this season um, based on what you expected from them? Well, according to Vegas, they did. I mean, I'm, I'm such a wuss. I was in Vegas, and I should have bet the over. Vegas had them at 26.5 wins, and they've won uh, – 33, and sure. I don't think it'll be 34, right? Portland's got to play for something tomorrow still? Yeah, they, 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 yeah. they will, yeah. So it looks like a 33-win season. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I should have pulled – that's a great question, and I should have pulled up our 
preseason predictions. I don't remember where I had them. Do you remember where I had them? I, I think everybody had them around, ironically enough, around 33 wins. Yeah. Everybody was between I say, 30 I, and 33. I know, I know, Adam, you had them at 33, exactly. You see so. how I am? You see how <laughs> good I am at this? I feel like I had them in that range. Um, so I, I, I don't think they overachieved. I think they – or underachieved. I think they played – we talked about this a little bit before the show. Um, if Gary Harris is your starting two guard, right. you're a 31 basketball team. Okay. If Jakar Stamson starting 22 games a year, <laughs> you're you're a 31 basketball team. Well, I'll say um, if, if Gary Harris at age 22 is your starting, right. I mean, we'll see what he becomes right, as right. he gets older. But I think definitely in his second year, and really this was his rookie year in a lot of ways. He didn't play last no, year. Not at all. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, uh, I, I, I think they, they, they ended up right about where we all thought they should have been, which is a 30-ish win team. And shame on me for not betting <laughs> over in Vegas. You always want to root for your home team. Um, but, I, 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 you know, Adam's going to probably roll his eyes a little bit because he's heard me say this so many times. I look at this season a lot like the 92-93 Nuggets season. You know, the Nuggets went to the playoffs under Doug Moe and that whole regime, which is why we called the site Denver Stiffs. You know, under Doug Moe from, uh, I, I wish I had a handy, but I think from 1981 to 1990, they, they made the playoffs nine consecutive years, okay? And always, you know, those last couple of years were always first-round exits. Right. Ownership got frustrated. They blew the thing up. They went with this goofy system with Paul Westhead, just like we had a goofy system here with Brian Shaw. And you can just forget 90-91, 91-92. They never happened. Starting in 92, the Nuggets got serious about an incremental rebuild, and they started moving in that direction. This year kind of reminds me of that, meaning we're not making the playoffs, but you kind of feel good about the direction that the team is heading. You kind of get that feeling like we're just a year away um, from something positive happening, and that could be a postseason appearance. You talk about uh, Paul Westhead here. Uh, it, that was an experiment in basketball in a lot of ways, the way he sure. coached. Right? Hey, maybe before his time. I mean, look, look at D'Antoni, look at Steve Kerr in Golden State, right? Well, it, well, it's interesting. The reason I bring that up is because I believe personally that the uh, NBA is in a period right now of, of experimentation. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of new technologies and ideas and theories about mm-hmm. basketball that are floating around right now. And, and I think a lot of fans uh, – especially fans over 35 years old maybe might be a little bit skeptical about experimentation in basketball and in part because of things like Paul West had come in and saying we're going to score 130 points every night and that's going to win it for us when that maybe didn't work. Well, it's funny you use the word experimentation. You know, historically it's a copycat league. Right. Right. And uh, I'll I'll give you a great example. I thought the NBA was terrible in, in the latter half of the 90s. And it's come up a lot recently because everyone's saying, oh, this Warriors team is not as good as that Bulls team. Right. BS, okay? <laughs> I mean, the NBA was junk in the mid to late 90s. They overexpanded. They had these raw high school players, these raw European players. Right. I mean, MJ just feasted on a crummy, crummy, crummy NBA, in my opinion. Right. Okay? They went from 23 teams to... 27 teams from 88 to 90. Then they go from 27 teams to 29 teams just five years later. And again, let in all those raw players who were not ready for prime time. And the Bulls torched them. But they were winning games like in those finals games against the Jazz and the Sonics were ugly games. They were right. like what, 88 yeah. to 85, 91 to 86. I mean, that's not the basketball that I don't think anybody at this table or listening right. really enjoys. So it's a copycat league. But, but, you know, that's because Pat Riley went to the Knicks and Mike Fratello went to the Cavaliers. And they didn't have a lot of talent, so they junked up the game by slowing it down. They were basically poor man's versions of the bad boys. And now, sorry, now you know we're seeing finally the coaches are letting players embrace the talents that you know nature bestowed upon them, and it's 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 phenomenal to watch. It's great. It's really I gotta say it's really refreshing to see somebody over the age of thirty two ish give the opinion that they like the, the league now as opposed to the late 90s. Now, you might like the 80s or early 90s or something different, sure. but it, it, it just seems like so much, especially recently, you mentioned there's been these debates about which team was better. Well, I wrote about, you know, Scotty Pippen, what an asshole. You know, he comes out, he comes out and says, well, we'd sweep these guys. Right, Scotty, yeah. guess what? Guess what, Scotty? You lost two out of your last four home games that year. Did you know that, Scotty? Including to a shitty crummy Charlotte Hornets team, okay? So I'm just saying that it's like the Bulls were all that. No, I shouldn't say it. They were all that. They were <laughs> unbelievable. I don't know if you guys saw the video that um, I did. Right? composed the five-minute video. It's unbelievable, okay? I love this. But just because they were great doesn't mean the Warriors aren't great, you right. know? I'm so sick of that argument. The thing, you know, us old-school guys tend to get on our high horse about, oh, our era was right. better, whatever. What I love about 80s basketball, and this is just my opinion, and I have no scientific proof sure. for this, is... 
the talent was generally on par with where it is today. Now, the conditioning wasn't there. I mean, guys back then used the first month of the season right. to get in shape. Right, right. The conditioning wasn't there. But they had 23 teams with pretty good talent. I mean, imagine taking the talent today and shaving off seven teams. Yeah, it's insane. Jakar Sampson, not only does he not start 22 games, he doesn't play in the NBA, okay? That's a big difference. To me, that's a huge difference. It's a lot of fun to think about. It would be a fun thought experiment. Maybe we'll do this on Denver Stiffs yeah. uh, this summer when there's nothing else to talk about for the, for the whole summer. But maybe we'll contract seven teams and redraft all those players because that's what happens with expansion, right? You, 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 you get rid of players. This time we're going to... The seven teams that we cut, those players are going to be contributed. One more thing in just defense of what the Warriors are doing, which I think is unbelievable and, in my opinion, more impressive than what the Bulls did. Because, yes, MJ feasted on an era with raw Euros and raw high school players. Well, there's no raw Euros anymore. I mean, you know, when MJ did it, that was three years removed from Barcelona in 92. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, we are now 20-something years removed from Barcelona the Europeans have gotten a lot better. You know, the guys that Steph Curry's going up against are the cream of the cream of the crop, you know, yeah. of, of international basketball players. And the NBA doesn't let those raw high school players in right now. So he's going up against, in my opinion, a tougher NBA. I think it's tougher. I could talk about this for an entire hour, right. maybe five hours of podcast, but it's kind of funny that after one question, we're already off track yeah. <laughs> from the next. Sorry. I love it, though. It's great. It's, it's great conversation. This is what I'm good at, getting stuff. us off track in <laughs> podcasts. Well, I'm, I'm going to move to Zach. And actually, Zach, you have uh, as fun as that question was. This one's going to be boring or, or at least depressing. What was the biggest disappointment for you uh, for the Nuggets this season? It's, hands down, it's got to be. And it's hard to say this because he's played well lately, but it's got to be Yusuf Nurkic. Mm. I mean, mm. it, and, and it's not, not all his fault, right. but uh, the recovery, I think, from the knee injury took a lot longer than anybody expected. Uh, and then and then he's there's that weird period where, where he's back, but there's some questions about his conditioning. You're talking about, I think, late December, early January, right, where, he, right. where he made an appearance and then he was out of the lineup. Yeah, yeah, he played, I think it was against the Pistons, and he had a big game, you know, something like 20 points, or not quite mm. 20 points, but he had a big game yeah. against the Pistons, and then they went on the All-Star break, and then after that, you know, he, he had a bunch right. of DMP CDs, so... Right. That's that's. I mean, it was yeah. For me, Nurkic by far was the biggest disappointment this year. Andy, um, I have to second that. I mean, considering he had such an inspiring rookie season, um, I, I really you know for him to have a sophomore slump when right. he's such a young kid. I mean, he's twenty one years old. It, it's just ridiculous. I you know I mentioned this also before we got on the show tonight. Uh, not in great shape, and that's on everybody. That's probably on the Nuggets a little bit. That's on Nurkic himself, but not in great shape. I mean, he looked like he was exhausted every right. game after like three or four minutes. And maybe that was just the nature of the injuries he had. But I would say he's the biggest disappointment. I, I would say second um, second biggest disappointment, uh, just from a, one very specific case, would be Kenneth Fareed's free throw shooting. Just <laughs> appalling. <laughs> what is he at right now? Do you have him um, from you? He is at uh, 6.13, 61%. Not good. Oh, wow. Not good. Yeah, that, that's pretty low. I think Nurkic is probably the biggest story to come out of it. because, And, and in part, that is because he had such a phenomenal year last year. Right, I think right. he was the one positive thing. And I think maybe the only positive thing to come out of last season was we had this really young, really raw, but yet very impactful big man that, that was intimidating and fun and lovable. And this year, um, you know, we're, we're reading between the lines a lot and what happened with him, but certainly the injury um, set him back more than I think anyone realized. I was actually at Media Day, the first press conference I think I saw of Mike Malone, or maybe the second one I saw, and he actually spilled the beans, I think, on accident that mo- that uh, Nurkic wasn't going to be healthy for training camp. I remember that. Every, yep. everybody I was expect- there with you. Yeah, yeah, everybody expected him to be there, and he said, you know, he's still a month away, and then the entire press conference kind of looked around at each other like, did you guys know that? Um, and then, you know, one month turned into two, which turned into two and a half. He came back and then was getting DMP. So something's going on with him, and, it, and it'll certainly be a, a, an interesting point of discussion. But on the, at the same time, especially over the last month, Nurkic showed some signs of why he's so special and why oh, yeah, he's absolutely. so great. So as much as this was a challenging year for him, I don't. if I'm Tim Conley in the front office, unless he knows, and I'm sure he knows a lot more about the situation behind the scenes than we do, it'd be very difficult to part ways with him just because of how, how much promise he still shows. So uh, I, I guess maybe maybe what I'm getting to is what a good sign it is that our most disappointing part of the season is still a relative positive thing and that we still have this big man with it with tremendous upside. Um, and you could say one more thing in terms of, I, I, I don't want to dwell on the disappointments, but 
you know, here we go again, Daniela Gallinari and Wilson Chandler. Yep. And I think this is a huge problem. And this is the elephant in the Nuggets room, so to speak. I mean, these guys can't stay healthy. They cannot stay healthy. And I don't know how, you know, it's one thing I think if Gallinari goes, to, as has been rumored, to a team like Boston or right. somewhere where he can kind of get into the mix a little bit, lessen his minutes load. I mean, he played 35 minutes a game this year. Maybe he can't play 35 minutes a game. Right. You know, and I just think that Gallinari's got to be somewhere where he's your third or your fourth option. Like, he would have been awesome, you know, on any of these Eastern Conference playoff teams where he's like the third option. I just think if he's the man, you're asking for trouble. And I say this as someone who really likes Danilo Gallinari. And I wrote a column. It's funny. I wrote a column, and I took a lot of heat for it, about should we trade him? You know, because he's at the peak of his powers. At the time I wrote the article, yeah. he was at the peak of his powers. And um, the Nuggets aren't going to make the playoffs. And now maybe I take a lot of backlash from our readers. You know, usually I'm, I, can test, I can tell the temperature of our fans. I must right. have gotten 80% backlash <laughs> from our readers saying, why are you doing this? You know, here's a guy who's 27. Here's a guy who wants right. to be here. And then, what, a month later he got hurt again. The, one, the, the wants to be here part is so special because, I, I mean, we, we love this city. I mean, Andy loves the city of Denver, I think, as much as anybody that lives here. Uh, the, Gatler wants to be here, and that's rare for an NBA star. There's, there's role players that like to be here and that have made their permanent home. There's coaches that have. But the cornerstone of our team, at least this year, was Gallo, and he wanted to be here. He's openly vocal about not wanting to be traded. Um, it's, it's kind of a unique situation for the front office in that way. At the same time, though, I think Gallo, in, in the past couple of weeks, has, has been pretty vocal about wanting to win. And and pretty vocal about his his questions as to whether or not the Nuggets can win in in the quick time frame, you know, because like you said, he's 27 now, but you know, five years from now, which honestly, I don't think anybody expects the Nuggets to be championship contenders before that. Then five now, might be a little long. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give him a shorter window than that right. to show signs, but but I, I hear you. So so at that point, Gallo's on the wrong side of 30, you right? Know? And I think he's starting to realize that, and I think he's gonna have to weigh whether or not. Winning or or Denver is more important to him, and it's just my feeling. I think he's I think he's going to choose winning. I think it'd be a blessing in disguise for Denver if because I I think Denver feels a little bit of loyalty to him. He was loyal to us, and I think if he said, you know what, I'd like to go to a contender, it actually might be a blessing in disguise because the the tr- the injury thing is worrisome. But he definitely has trade value, and there's teams out there that could use him that are in the playoff and, and title yeah, contending spots that have assets to send back to us. So. That'll be something interesting to keep our eye on. Um, let's get right into to, to some specific players and coaches, and I'll start with the coach. We alluded to it a little bit uh, with Mike Malone. Um, Andy, I'll go to you. What, what are your general thoughts on the job? We talked a little bit about the culture, but what about the product of what, of what the Nuggets were doing on the court? How, how would you say Malone has managed uh, uh, coaching this team on the court? I think it's a little mixed, actually, and I, and I like him a lot, and I think that he's – He's. I'm hoping he'll be our coach for the next five or six years. There's not somebody lurking out there that, ooh, I really wish we brought right. Coach X in. I, I don't have that feeling. I like, I like him a lot. I like him personally. I got to know him a little bit this year. My only issue with the product is end-of-game execution was just awful. Right. And um, you can blame the young team, yeah. but at some point there's a pattern there. Yeah. And you're better at this stuff than me, so I kind of feel like I should turn the question around to you. But <laughs> the end-of-game execution, I mean, how many close games did we lose? Now, lately the Nuggets haven't competed like they did most of the season. It's Correct. been a little bit of an aberration. But up until lately, the Nuggets competed almost every single night with a few glaring exceptions. And yet, how many times did we lose by like three points, four points, five points? Because that end of game execution was just awful. And I'd like maybe you can comment on that because I can imagine you as a real basketball guy who understands X's and O's. You must just be pulling your hair out watching the end of some of these games. I don't for, – for me, and, and I have some things I'm going to bring up here about Malone that both positive and negative, but for me, the end-of-game execution stuff is not one of the things I put at him. And, he, and here's why. As, as I think about the game and I look at the roster and what we have, we're a team that has two or three options when we, when we go on offense. There's two or three things we can do. A team like San Antonio, Golden State, Cleveland, Oklahoma City, they have – you know, endless possibilities of things they can do because they have talent on the roster that says we can we can do a dribble handoff in the corner, we can do a post up for this guy, we can do uh, a driving kick for this guy. And the Nuggets didn't have that, so I think some of that stuff. The NBA game, it's almost like there's two games in an NBA game. There's the first 45 minutes and there's the last three. 
And the last three, a lot of that comes down to knowing what you're supposed to do in execution, but it also just comes down to do you have the guy that can hit the shot that's going to be 10% more difficult to hit than it was the first 45 minutes of the game. And the Nuggets don't have that guy. I don't think Gallo's that guy, to be honest with you. He gets us buckets in a pinch on occasion, um, but he's not a guy that would carry us through a 10-0 stretch down, th- down the final minutes. Um, but, Zach, I want to I hear your thoughts on this. What are, what are some of your observations for how the team has changed under Malone from what they were last year? Not, we, we talked about the culture, but just some specific on-the-court stuff. Uh, you know, I think one thing, and, and even, even going back to the Brian Shaw, we are, we're really seeing, a, a, I think, a step away from that George Carl fast pace Mm -hmm. we're gonna you know we want to win games we were talking about paul westhead earlier you know we want to win games 120 to 110 and you know brian shaw outright you know made fun of that basically when he when he got the job here and 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 then everybody i think has paid lip service to the fact that oh yeah we're going to be more of a fast-paced team but if you look at the nuggets they're really they're really not and they really don't have the personnel to do it right now well i'm not the, the, I'm, I'm with you on that first part and I'm, and I'm glad you brought it up that was one of the places i wanted to go with this i think the nuggets were 17th in pace when i checked it this morning um basically league average in pace and you know brian shaw talked about running teams never win mike malone has made some comments recently in the media that allude to similar things that he's not concerned with the possession he's not concerned with pace he's more concerned with uh, with productivity which to me sounds a little bit like lip service Andy, is pace an important thing for a Denver team that's playing? A well, I'm, I'm old school, and I've had lots of debates with our friend and colleague, Nate Timmons, about this. But, uh, you know, Malone, what, what game was it? It was a couple nights ago, and I just happened to be there for the postgame press conference, and he was bristling at this notion that they don't play at pace. Right. And he said, he actually flat out said something. I, I wish I knew the game exactly, but he said something like, you know, everyone says I'm not going to run here, and we've been running here. You know, he, right. he's very aware of this stigma that he plays this slow down half court. Hey, look, I'm a junkie of the '80s. I come from a very contrarian point of view. I cannot envision a scenario in which the Denver Nuggets win an NBA championship in my lifetime, ever. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh. Um, there are 30 teams in the NBA. Right. It is the hardest sport to win a championship. In. Correct. Only 10 franchises have have won since. 1980, and one of those 10 franchises, whether it's the Warriors or the Spurs, is going to do it again this year, okay? <laughs> so the record of 10 franchises in 36 years is about to become 10 franchises in 37 years, okay? Right. It is the hardest sport to win in, and all I ask for is an entertaining product that makes the playoffs and competes and occasionally wins a couple playoff rounds. Were the Nuggets entertaining this year for you? Uh, well, y- yes, but uh, much more <laughs> than the last two seasons, no question. Right, right. And I say yes, but because I think the yes part is watching Moody develop, watching, as, as Zach said earlier, watching Gary Harris develop. You know, watching Jokic was great. Right. But were they really that fun to watch? Right. I mean, you know, like you said, 17th in pace, um, a scoring average of 102. That's 19th in the NBA. You right. know, I, I'm an up and down guy. <clears throat> I'd rather see 110 point games, 115 point games. And we just didn't see a lot of that. And they were pretty crummy shooters, I think. I don't know where they ranked among the 30 teams, but I don't think they were particularly good shooters. Well, I got some stats here for you. So so let's talk about offense real quick. They're currently ranked 17th in offensive rating, which I think is the best way to look at uh, and and try to measure uh, a team's offense productivity. 17th is about league average. 22nd in true shooting percentage. 24th in effective field goal percentage. 6th in offensive rebound percentage. So what this means to me is we're an average offense that gets really bad shots or doesn't convert the shots that we get, but we hustle and clean up the glass to give ourselves uh, second chance second chance opportunities. Sure. That would just based on those stats would point to a team that's scrappy, gritty. Um, that kind of fits with what with what Malone preaches. I mean, obviously he wants to convert his shots, he wants to be efficient, but he's kind of a hard nosed guy. Um, do you think this offense is this rating that we have is a product? of a young team or do you think this is uh maybe something about malone and the way the style he coaches i i think i I would agree with the wrong team that's what i was gonna say to andy is you know it's not always fun to watch and that's because we're watching so much youth kind of learn on the job and and so yeah you're gonna see that that late x game or late game execution like we were talking about you know a a veteran savvy team is gonna know how to handle that whereas is uh the young team like the nuggets they're gonna um they kind of right. almost psych themselves out. So 
I think it's more of a product of youth than, than so much as Malone. Let me let me throw this one out to you, Andy. Second most, uh, the Nuggets are the second most, uh, or have the second most field goal attempts at the rim this season. Mm. The second most of all teams. They have the fourth worst field goal percentage at the rim. A lot of that is Yusef Nurkic is terrible at the rim. Emmanuel Moutier yeah. is terrible at the rim. Terrible. Um, but as a team, even if you throw those guys out, we're still below average at the rim team. Is that, again, do you think that's youth? Do you think that has something to do with the way we, uh, our team is designed? We need more shooters? Uh, do you that's think an coaching? interesting stat because just watching the games as I do, you know, I go to a lot of games. I am a season ticket holder. My gut feel is that they miss a lot of layups. That's right. really interesting yep. to hear that yep. statistic. And this is why we have the wonderful Adamares <laughs> around because he finds these, hunts them down for us um, and, 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 and proves that my gut feel is correct and probably incorrect more than correct. But, yeah, they do miss a lot of layups. Um, I think that is a product of a young team. If you watch Steph Curry, if you watch Kobe Bryant, if you watch guys who are seasoned, seasoned rim finishers, there's a touch that comes with it. There's a way you contort your body just right, knowing who's guarding you, knowing who the big man is. And that comes with age. And I don't remember, and I'm sure Steph Curry and Kobe Bryant have much better natural instincts than anybody right, on the Nuggets right. roster ever in Nuggets history. But, you know, Iverson was like that. Iverson had, Alan Iverson. Andre Miller. Andre Miller had great, have great, inst- have great like around the rim instincts of just how to contort your body, you know, knowing where the defender's hand is in the rim is versus where you're going to launch that shot. If you notice how Curry adjusts his release, whether it's a three-pointer or a layup based on who's guarding him, what right. the arc angle is, uh-huh. and he has probably studied that and he has probably practiced that his whole life because his father, Dell, who was a terrific shooter, not necessarily a good rim finisher, probably taught him at a young age, hey, look, you're undersized. So if you're going to be effective in this league, you're going to have to learn how to take it to the paint. Otherwise, they're never gonna, they're only going to guard your three, and you're not going to have a three. So that comes with age, I guess is my long-winded answer. And Moody is going to have to learn how to finish at the rim. And, uh, and, and Nurkic is a sloppy finisher, too. And, and you know, Moutier, I think, improved. I'd love to see his month-by-month uh, numbers at, at finishing at the rim because it feels like after he came back from that all-star break, he figured some things out about how to get to the basket, when to shoot, when to get contact, and, and so forth. So it seems like an area he's improved on. I'll tell you, I, it was interesting. Sometime about a month or maybe two months ago, I looked at his numbers and, and, and some other players that compared to him. His numbers were almost identical in terms of shooting splits in different zones as Tyreek Evans. And Tyreek Evans continues to struggle at the rim. Um, now, Moody is a much better player make, playmaker. I think he has a much better basketball IQ and feel for the game than a guy like Tyreek. But it is concerning that they have a very similar build, kind of similar athleticisms, and, 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 and this is a thing that Evans has struggled with his entire career. I think he's five or six years now into his career. Um, Ty- Tyreek Evans has had a, what I call a Benjamin Button <laughs> NBA career, and that's <laughs> gone so in true. reverse. Yeah. Uh, he was a great rookie. He was one of, one of three guys in NBA history to be a 25-5 and five guy as a right, rookie. He's rookie of the year. And he's only gotten worse since then. Another player that was like that was Joe Smith. <laughs> had a great rookie year and went in reverse, and and unfortunately that's been Tyreek's story. Smith. That's that's a hopefully right there. yeah. Hopefully, uh, Emmanuel Mudiay is the opposite and ascends from here. Uh, I also think that post injury, and I don't know what light bulb went off for him, but the confidence that he played with, you know, and and uh, taking it to the rim with more aggression, I think, was, you know, more it, sense of purpose. Yeah, I think yeah talking about the the season, there was I do think Mudiay started on a high. He came in with off a great summer league and had a lot of confidence. Yep. And he kind of went through a really rough patch for the first two months. He got injured, sat out for a month, and then I think from that, you know, that's it was almost like the second half of his rookie career, and, and, and he had a really, really good second half after that. Um, let me ask you this, because Malone, I think we would all agree, is a defensive coach. That's the only thing he ever talks about in press conferences. You ask him about the offense, and maybe he'll mention a thing or two, but he almost always brings it back to, to defense. The offense was 17th in offensive rating. Yeah, exactly. The defense is 26th. Fourth to last, and we have the second worst defensive three-point field goal percentage. Um, Inherited from Brian Shaw. Uh, not. I think we actually moved backwards from, yeah. from, from the Brian Shaw era, which is interesting because, um, you know, I think if you ask the casual person in the NBA, how is Mike Malone a defensive coach? This is a trend actually for his entire career to be in the back half, um, which is only two and a half seasons long at this point, but um, to be in the back half. Um what do you notice about the defense? Is it is it youth again, or is there things you're noticing that the Nuggets need to improve on? Is it personnel? I, again, like almost like a broker record. I think I think a lot of it is is just the youth. Uh, and I don't know. I 
Emmanuel Moutier, I don't. He has. I mean, he has the size to be an excellent defender, and we've seen flashes of it. I remember those game against the Warriors when he defended Steph Curry, and he played. Right. You know, he played excellent, but at the same time, then he has these mental lapses. I can't remember what game it was, but there was. I made a comment on Twitter. It was, you know, I said Gary Harris and Emmanuel Moutier couldn't figure out who they were going to cover, so they ended up deciding to cover no one. Right. You know, and it was a wide open shot, of course, and and I think that's just it. Is is guys don't quite understand where they're supposed to be on defense yet within the flow of the game, and then it just it leaves wide-open shots at the three let me, let me ask you this, because you sat in Andy's seats uh, on the game yesterday, was it, or the day before? Uh, yesterday. And yesterday, and that was, you said, the closest you've ever sat. Andy has phenomenal seats right behind the visiting bench. Um, the game is a lot quicker when you're sitting 10 feet away from it than it is when you're on TV. Did you absolutely. feel the same thing? No, yeah, absolutely. You know, obviously yesterday we had a terrible, what is it, like a 24 nothing run. All right. I didn't <laughs> even realize that was happening until I looked up the score and said, wait a second, suddenly we're down by 18 points. So, so you know? Emmanuel Moutier was going against Zach Mikosh and Adam Ares mm-hmm. two years ago, right? He was right. going against uh, 18-year-old versions uh, versions of, of ourselves, just regular guys playing basketball. Now he's going against uh, professional athletes and guys that are running 100 miles per hour out on the on the court. I do think that has a lot of it, uh, a lot to do with it. One of the things, um, you know, I've been talking to to Jeff Morton and, and Matt Moore, some of the fellow bloggers uh, here in the Denver area, about is the Nuggets really over help on defense. Mm. When you look at the number second worst three point field goal percentage uh, defense, meaning teams shoot lights out from us from the three-point line. In fact, that number, I think, is even uh, uh, the same if you look at corner threes. Teams light us up from the corner. The Nuggets rotate really, really hard, and that's an old-school principle. Old-school principle is all five guys protect the basket. All guy, five guys protect the paint. A new-school rule says, yes, that same stuff, but these corners are worth three points, and they're really short, easy shots to hit. I'm, I'm wondering if that's a trend with Mike Malone, that he's old school in his thinking and, he, and, and the, the Nuggets are over-helping a little bit. Andy, what do you think? No, it's a great observation. Again, you know, uh, uh, hey, hey, look, uh, where, where are we at with corner threes? Are we one of the worst teams in the NBA defending the corner three? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the same. Se- I'm sure there's the last or last statistics that like break that. down corner three versus right. middle three versus Correct. side three. Um, but, look, the numbers speak for itself. And that's interesting you say. And here I was complimenting Malone earlier being, coming from an old school family. And there may be some of that, some of that to it, but uh, hey, look, the game. George Carl is all about this, you know. And they, a lot of these coaches have said, you know, the, the the percentage chances of making that three versus making the two, the incremental, you know, it's a little tougher to make a three, but the incremental value of making it is so right. much bigger right. that they're all pushing teams to do it. And the Nuggets have to adapt to the times. I mean, right. I hope the Nuggets look at this stuff in the off season. I would hope they're a lot smarter than us, right? Right. And they break this stuff down all season long or all summer long and get serious about it next year. They look at their deficiencies, and it's almost like Coach Malone needs an exit interview, and all those players are going to get exit interviews on Thursday, but he needs one from right. management. Maybe they look at that too. It's interesting how that dynamic works. A quick correction. So they're actually league average in three-point percentage in the corner, but they are fourth most frequent in attempts, meaning opponents get shots off in the corner, right. meaning they're open, which is actually right. more important because everybody shoots well from the corner. But if you're allowing, right. you know, 10 shots a game, that's a lot worse than allowing two or three. No, it's so. a great statistic. I, uh-huh. Or it's not a great statistic for Nuggets fans, but it's <laughs> interesting to see that. Let me uh, uh, I'll go back to you, Andy, about Moutier. What do you feel about his season? What would you What would you say are his strengths as a player at this point, and what are some things he needs to work on this offseason? Well, to me, the most obvious thing with Moutier, and he never he, he got a little better recently, but he leaves his feet to pass, yep. and he doesn't know where he's passing which is like basketball 101, right? And it's unfortunate. I mean, had he, gone, had he done that just that one year at SMU under Larry Brown, you got to wonder what he would have been like, although he may have been the second pick in the draft and not the seventh if that happened. But that, to me, was his biggest, biggest negative. Um, and he seemed to do it frequently. You know, the hitch in his jump shot, I don't like, but he started making his jump shots. And, you know, Magic Johnson wrote something in his autobiography years ago. You know, Magic Johnson did not have a particularly good jump shot. He did not have a conventional jump shot. But Magic became a much better jump shooter as his career went on. And Magic basically said, look, if this is how you shoot, this is how you shoot. It just means you have to practice a lot more. Right. And it just seemed to me like that little hitch he has in his shot, if that's what he has, he has. But he's got to work on that more. You know, I think he's young enough that his shot has actually changed. I think Harrison Wind over at BSN, our good friend, uh, he uh, did a, a breakdown on his, on the form of his shot, and it's changed a lot. He used to have a right leg that stuck forward about four feet. Right. Uh, when he landed, he used to double pump. He used to shoot on the way down. 
I think a lot of those things, they pop up every now and then, especially in pressure moments when I think he's more instinctual. But it looks like he's actually corrected some of the form. I can't wait. The guy's a hard worker. He's one of the last ones to leave practice every, you know, every time I'm there. So um, I, I, I'm hopeful that he's going to turn some of that stuff around. Uh, let's mix it up to Jokic, and, and I'll throw it over to you, Zach. What, what did you see? Obviously, you alluded to him earlier about uh, what a great season he had. What do you see as his... Uh, what do you see as his upside? Is he a superstar? Is he a star? Is he a great role player? Uh, if you, I would probably say out of out of anybody on the roster, I, w- I would give Jokic as the best chance to be a superstar because he's so versatile. Because he's got such a good post game. Because he can stretch out to the three point. Because he's a good rebounder. Because he actually has pretty good defensive positioning. He's got all the tools. Right. He's just got to get. You know. He's just got to improve. Uh, I. <sighs> I don't like him as a, as a playing in the in the four. Uh, I don't. And like that's unfortunate because that would make him a lot more versatile. Yeah, but, absolutely. You know, this is a recent thing, right? We centers came into the league in 1995. Nobody said, "Well, man, we wish he could be power forward." Also, right? This is a recent right. thing where yeah, we're why like, can't he be an undersized five? Well, I think the only reason is because we have this guy Nurkic, and we and yeah. everybody exactly, in Denver would exactly. like both guys to be Nuggets for life, and that and maybe that's still possible. Although I think I think that might be unlikely as we look. Five years down the road, um, you know somebody somebody on Twitter today compared Jokic to Al Horford, which I mm. found very interesting today because Al Horford's a guy that's played under the radar in Atlanta, doesn't get a lot of press, but he's a phenomenal player, one of my favorite centers in the entire league, six nine, yeah, he, he, and just skilled, can shoot the three. I didn't, I actually looked it up when I saw it. He shoots three and a half threes a game. Oh, wow. um, he's a tremendous talent. Is that a good comp for him? Do you think, uh, Zach? Yeah, I, I not. I don't watch enough Hawks games to, uh, to, to to say uh, fair enough one hundred percent. But yeah, no, I mean, I mean, it, certainly um, that that skill and that that touch that I think you see with Horford, you definitely see with Jokic as well. So I, I think definitely a good comp. Obviously, Jokic is a little bit bigger, so I think he's got a little bit more better, probably a, potential to have a better post game. Right. But I, I would. Say that's a good comp. I think the guy I was most surprised by this year of our of our young players was Gary Harris, a guy I loved his game. Uh, you know, in summer league last year he didn't get a ton of minutes to, to really give a great sample size, but loved loved his game over summer league. He came out this year shooting really hot. I think he was above forty percent for the first month of the season. Uh, it dropped, but he's a tremendous one on one defender. He got a lot of confidence in his offensive game this year. Um, Andy, what, what do you think about him? You mentioned earlier, and I'm, I'm curious about your comment. You, you said he, he's not a starter on a championship team. What I, is yeah. he? <laughs> <laughs> he is. If Gary Harris is your sixth or seventh man, you're a 50-win team. Okay. You know, I mean, he's got that kind of talent. Um, yeah, he's listed at 6'4". I'm skeptical. Uh, uh, I'm 6'5", right. and I feel like I tower over him. I am too. You <laughs> and I are the same height, right? Yeah. I know that I'm not lying about my height. So right. most of these guys tend to lie about their height. And I just feel like he's, yeah, he's he's a generous 6'4". Does the inch or two really make a difference? Uh, I think it, I, know, would, it, I would argue it makes a huge in, difference. In a league where you've got six, seven, two guards, right. and you're really only 6'2", six, 6'3", six, and I think that's a problem. So that's why I think off the bench, if he's your – I'm trying to think of a t- – the reason I'm, I'm, I'm stumbling over my words is I'm trying to think of a team that he would be just awesome for coming off the bench as a two guard. You know, or if you could pair him with a big one, you know, maybe that would right. work. And, and Moody is a big Moody one. Moody is a big six, one. Five. Um, you know that's my that's been my concern with him for a long time, and I had somebody on on Twitter the other day say, "Well, what what two guard can guard you know the Kobe Bryant's uh, of the world in the post because Gary Harris gets post up and." You know, I think it actually is a trend. You know, Zach Levine and, and Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins plays the two in some lineups. Uh, Caldwell Pope is, I think, a six four, six five guy. There's a lot of really. I, I feel like the the league is moving towards length on the wing. Sure. And, and Gary Harris dominates guys his size. Defensively, oh, yeah. he dominates them. He's got the quickest hands I've ever seen on a defender. He gets the hand on the ball almost any time anybody tries to dribble it anywhere near his vicinity. But if he does get that matchup where a guy has two inches of height on him or thirty pounds of of, of weight on him, uh, they kind of throw the body around. So I do I do wonder about him a, a, as as a long term. Yeah, I just I, unfortunately I feel this way about a lot of the Nuggets players. You know, I think mm-hmm. Kenneth Fareed, if he's your seventh man, you're in great shape. Mm-hmm. If you're starting right. four, you're in a little bit of trouble. Same with Gary Harris. Uh, I'm not going to mention. I'm not going to pick on Drew Hark Sampson again because it's amazing <laughs> that he made a roster. Um, <laughs> that but that's the problem. You know, one guy you haven't mentioned that I thought had just a phenomenal breakout year 
is uh, Will Barton. Will Barton. I mean, Will Barton was unbelievable, was he not? I mean, what he did off the bench this season. And uh, if it wasn't for Jamal Crawford, he's probably a slam dunk. Although I loved your Boris Diaw pick for sixth man of the year. And I got to know Boris last summer, and he's a great guy. And so I, I, I agreed with One of you. my favorite players of all time. Well, and, five, and, and people don't appreciate how competitive he is. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, I think Will Barton's in the conversation for best six man. He had a great year. He's definitely. I mean, he's definitely in the conversation. Um, I, w- I would still vote Ryan Anderson. But the thing about oh. Will Barton is, that guy plays the two basically. Ryan Anderson. He's six ten. Six ten shooter. Uh, Will's a, a chucker. You know, Will's an excellent. We were just talking about finishing at the rim. Will's an excellent finisher at the rim. One of one of the best, probably the best, I would say, at the, on the team. But the problem is, he's got that. Uh, He's got that J.R. Smith. He's got that, um, you know, whatever, Jamal Crawford in, in some ways, that, that, that sort of unconscious or, or he doesn't care about He's in full attack finish. mode at exactly. all. Exactly. And, and sometimes that's really good, but a lot of times that ends up hurting the team. And, and I think you can see if Mike Malone had any hair left to pull out, he probably would have lost it all this year. We I call think that, we call that an irrational confidence. Right, right, right. I don't know. I liked Willie B. I, I thought he too. had a good year, and he's a good kid. And uh, I, I mean, I think give Tim Connolly credit to get Will Barton for a and a first round pick for yeah. Aaron Aflalo, who's right. on the downside who's, who's of the rental. downside. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, to, to your point, though, Zach, I think you're right about him. The one thing I'll say, I don't think Will Barton is a selfish basketball player, and I don't think that's the point you were making either, but no. he's not a selfish player. He's not like a Nate Robinson who goes in there and he's a gunner and he's in attack mode. I think Will Barton wants, you know, he's perfectly fine doing whatever role. I think his best skill is attacking the basket, and that's kind of what comes off when he's on the court. When he's really in rhythm, um, he's always in attack mode. It's interesting to see his numbers dipped. At the same time when DJ Augustine came here, because DJ Augustine plays a very similar Adam's favorite style. Yeah. Player. Right. <laughs> I'm on record not, not, not being a, a, a huge fan of DJ Augustine, although um, you know he's a great tough shot maker. Um, but it's interesting that Barton's numbers dipped at the same time because y- you basically have a bench lineup now that features two guys that are right. constantly in attack mode, and I, I just wonder if that if it worked out for DJ Augustine but, but took away a little bit from, from what Will Barton was doing. It's something to maybe keep our eye on. Um, y- next year, especially if DJ's not brought sure. back. Well, and the other thing you got to think about there is is if Wilson Chandler's back because I think that was part of the reason why Will had such a big year is because they were expecting Wilson Chandler to kind of carry that scoring right. load on the bench, and then he was gone, and Will just kind of had to step into that role. The funny thing is, I think Will uh, 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 when we talk about Wilson Chandler, he's such a a passive player. I, I, I won't say passive; he plays within himself, and he doesn't mm-hmm. force shots. Uh, for better or for worse, sometimes you need a guy to force shots. So I think he would actually be a really interesting fit next to Barton because Barton, you know, the shot clock's winding down. Barton has no time, no problem, you know, <laughs> creating something out of nothing there. Uh, I want to move on here. Uh, you know, we kind of re- recap this season a little bit, and I think every, we all had fun because this season was a no pressure season, right? If they made the playoffs, that was great, but that was really like a very little chance the Nuggets were going to make it with this young of a team. But next year, things are going to change a little bit. Next year, there's going to be some expectations. Players like Nurkic, probably the leash will get a little bit shorter. Uh, what is a realistic expectation for this Nuggets team uh, next year, Andy? Mm, I knew you were going to ask me that question. <laughs> um, realistic expectation. I bet you the over-under in Vegas for the Nuggets next year is 35. That's what I would say. And this is without knowing what pick we yeah, get yeah, or yeah, what yeah, trades yeah, yeah. are made. Just that, bringing back the team and, and assuming think, we get the eighth pick. I, well... Speaking of eight, I think we're going to have trouble getting the eighth seed. I just do. <laughs> I, I just, you know, who drops out of the playoffs and who drops in? So let's say, does Dallas miss the playoffs last year and what could be Dirk Swan song? Um, does Memphis actually miss the playoffs? I mean, they still have Marcus Soule. They still have Zach Randolph. Memphis I mean, is you know. 365 days away from being one of the best teams. Like well, a year ago, they were one of right. the best right. teams in all of the NBA. So. so I don't know about Memphis. Do they drop out of the playoffs? Utah is a flimsy playoff team, but could certainly be back in Houston. Who knows? I still know what slot the Nuggets sneak into. And then I think the Pelicans are going to be better. I think the Timberwolves are going to be better. Um Sacramento has a chance. We well, know who knows what's uh, going to happen yeah. with that. But I guess I'm saying. I, I, I guess to answer, I'm ducking the question. <laughs> to answer the question, I'm guessing 40 wins and a nine seed is what we're looking at next year. 40 wins and a nine seed. What do you guys think? I, I agree. I mean, I think the goal is is that eighth seed certainly, and I think management needs to set that goal. But 
it's going to be tough because, like you said, you've got Utah, you've got Minnesota, you've got. I mean, there's so many teams with young talent that are coming up right now. Should management make uh, put pressure and say playoffs are bust next year? Playoffs or we're going to make some some kind of significant change? Should that be what management does? Well, I mean, I don't think you, I don't think if the significant change is firing the coach, I don't think that's what you do. I don't think if it's trading Emmanuel Moody, I don't think that's what you do. Um, but I think certainly the management should say we expect you to make the playoffs. Right. Um, well, I think it depends what happens in this draft. I think expecting him to make the playoffs, ugh. It's just tough because there's so much young talent in the Western Conference and actually so much talent in the Northwest Division. And that's one of, one of the issues that the Nuggets are going to have is we got to play these guys in the Northwest Division four times a year. And we're looking at Minnesota, who has, I think, probably the best young roster um, you know that we've seen in a while, actually, not just this year. It. And they're going to add to it with possibly a number one or, or a number two pick this year. Um, you've got Portland, who had a very surprising uh, season for a lot of people, and they have a tremendous backcourt that's going to yeah. probably anchor that team for a while. You've got Utah, who's ahead of us, probably one year ahead of us right. in terms of just where all their young guys are. Um, and then obviously Oklahoma City, if they retain Kevin Durant, they're going to be the top of, of the division a, almost certainly next that's year. That's a big question, Andy, because you were talking about teams who might fall out of the playoffs. If, if Kevin Durant leaves Oklahoma City, do they make the playoffs? I, no. no. <laughs> you don't think Westbrook can carry him? We, he didn't last year. That's true. That's very true. The, and, that they, was with, and that was with Durant giving him 30 games last year. They were a half game out of making the playoffs <laughs> last year, and they had a, 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 well, in addition to the, to the, the Durant injury, they had injuries to Westbrook, Abaca, and some other people. So, you're absolutely right that they're not going to be the top, the cream of the crop in the Northwest Division, but I wouldn't count them out if the team stayed intact, except for Durant, because obviously they're going to rip Durant gone means they have salary to bring some other things in. I, I think uh, even if he leaves, that team will probably still contend for at least an eight spot and be somebody that Denver's fighting with. For sure, I, I just guys, I hate to say, it, I think the playoffs is still a stretch. <laughs> It sounds so good in theory, but it when you actually go through the numbers, it, it's a little what if, bit. Uh, what if what if Duncan and Popovich retire? Well, I don't think that's that. Well, the Duncan one might might very well happen, but I don't think Dude, the Popovich just signed an extension. He's, though. he's said though he has said that he's kind of he's kind of hand in hand with Duncan, and that when Duncan's done, he's going to be. But done. If you're Lamarcus Aldridge, why do you go there on a yeah. five year deal? Yeah, I guess that's true. If Pop that's doesn't true. promise you, I'm in there for at least half of those years. Let's do a real quick rapid fire here, guys. I want to ask you. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how upset would you be if the following players were not in a Nuggets uniform next year? Wow. Okay, scale of 1 to 10. Danilo Gallinari. Zach. Five. I agree with Zach. It's a tough question. Though. What am I getting for him? You know? Right. Uh, it's, a, it's the mystery. It's, it's really how much, how much do you feel he's a part of what you want this Nuggets team to be? I agree year. with Zach. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check it out and give it the same answer. Gonna, what Kenneth about you? Fareed. What about you, oh, yeah. Mr. For, for Moderator? Me, for, for me, Gallo, I would actually say a three. I, I love Gallo. I just think he doesn't fit the timeline. His age, his injury history, where he's at mentally, wanting to be on a contender. Yeah, sure. I think, I think we move on. Kenneth Fareed. Probably, I'd say probably about a three. Yeah. I'm so conflicted with the Manimal. You know, he's... Uh, such an energetic player, such a dynamic guy off the bench. And, he, of course, with us, he basically starts every game he plays in. Um, I put him at the same five. I, I'm just – I know I'm not giving you good answers. I'm just so <laughs> indifferent. Kenneth Reed, I think, has gone from a guy that was – that's taken more – for his on-court play, I think fans kind of turned against him a little bit in Denver more than he deserved. But at the same time, I'm not sure he wants to be here. This is just pure speculation. This isn't in, in the They should have traded him the day they got back from yeah. Turkey and won the world championship. <laughs> they should have. It was in Spain, I think. That's the day he saying. came back from Spain, they should have. They should have traded him. So I'm going to say with Farid, I'm going to say a two. Um, I yeah. think he also doesn't quite fit the time, timeline. Wilson Chandler, I'll go with you, Andy. Uh, Wilson Chandler's another one. That he, <laughs> here's the thing. I guess I'm going to give you another five, and here's why. Uh, to me, the future is not Wilson Chandler, Gallinari, and Fareed. They're not our future. They are, well, uh, I hate saying the word assets because these guys are human beings and they're members of our community and we like them personally. I hate saying that word. Um, but these guys are very tradable players, right? right? And you can get something good in return. I, I think our future is Jokic, Moutier, Nurkic, 
Harris and Barton. I just don't think that Fareed and Chandler and and here, here, and and, and, and uh, Gala, who are the last vestige of the George Carl era, are part of our future. Here's where I'm going to disagree with you on this one, and maybe uh, the next couple ones is with Gallo and Fareed. I th- I I don't know that they add. There, there's being a there's being a, a cornerstone piece of a team, and then there's being a guy that helps develop the other guys, whether through the locker room or through being the type of player that opens up the court for you and 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 does plays the game the right way that maybe helps other guys develop. I think Wilson Chandler's that guy. He's a high IQ basketball mm. guy. He's a great shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a smart guy. I think him on the court is going to help Emmanuel Mudiay and Nikola Jokic because he's going to open up the court. He's going to cut when he's supposed to cut. He's going to space when he's supposed to space and he's a big two guard and he's a big guy Gary Harris struggled you know it's funny because all of the advanced metrics for Gary Harris were negative this year not surprisingly because he's the eye test says he's a great defender and I think part of that's because he was guarding bigger guys if Wilson Chandler's here Wilson Chandler slides over and guards Kobe Bryant if Kobe starts going off so I think so for me Wilson Chandler is probably a seven or an eight whereas those other guys are low I really would like to see him back um, but you can't trust his body <laughs> ever. That's that's the, ever ever that's ever the, never. That's the thing that that leaves him out of being a, yeah. a, a ten for me. I'd say you know I'm with you, Adam. I think it, I I think about an eight, and, it, and I think a lot of it has to do with. I, personally, I love the guy because of, because of the letter he wrote last off season, right? That was uh, about great. Denver. But I think that's also important to with such a young team to sure. have, have that guy who's been in the league who played in New York right. for the Knicks and wants to be here in Denver and can relay that message to these younger guys about. How this is actually, it's not all about, you know, building your brand and something like that. It's right. about building the, the community and building a team. And, and I, would, I don't know, I just, like I said, I would be really upset because of the intangibles if, if he was gone. Let's do two more real quickly. Darrell Arthur. I'm a, another eight. I, I'm a big fan of Darrell Arthur's. I think I think he should start over Fareed. I think he, he brings so much to the table. He's so good at, at what he does. You know, he's such a good defender, such a good uh, stretch kind of four position that, and he brings the toughness too to this exactly. team that that I think would I think we would miss his toughness uh, if if he wasn't here, Andy. I like Darrell Arthur. I've come around. You know, I've still never seen him make a three pointer, <laughs> uh, but I do you like Darrell. Check, check the lineup. I, I know he has 40%. the highest percentage on the team. I still like. I, I do like him though. I like his leadership. I like his defensive presence. I just feel bad for him. I feel like Darrell Arthur should be the. Eighth man on the Golden State Warriors. Like, what is he doing on the Nuggets? You know, like, I I have to believe, I have to believe that the 16 teams that are going to make the playoffs after Wednesday night would love to have Darrell Arthur off their bench. Oh, for sure. Every single single team. He had the best quote at Media Day. uh, Asked him about playing in Denver and the home court advantage of this and that. And he said, you know, when I was in Memphis, this was the hardest damn place to play in. And now it's an easy game for everybody or something like that. And it's just he has this funny way about him that you can tell he's – He's not grouchy, but he just has a chip on his shoulder, and you can tell he's a very serious guy. Uh, I love him. I'm going to give he him is a. Eight. He is an absolute pro's pro. Yeah, he is. Right. And, you know, not that talented, and not that, that not particularly athletic, but a pro's pro. And I doubt he's a vocal leader. He's just an example leader. Jo- uh, Joffrey, um, scale of one to ten, one. I am I the only guy that likes Joffrey? <laughs> you might um, be. I, I don't. Give, I don't dislike Joffrey. I give Joffrey. I, mean, I give Joffrey a seven. Oh, wow. <laughs> I think me and Andy have gone opposite on all these. What do you believe? He's a second-round pick. He's fine. He's a hey, third replacement center. I mean, you he, trade he, him and, and the Portland pick for, for something, you know, for almost anything else. Uh, uh, he might be – he might have more value to somebody else. Um, yeah, it really depends on what the objective is of this offseason. If they get that eighth pick, unfortunately, which they probably will, you know, does Tim Connolly go for it? Does, does he roll the dice and do a trade like that? Does he move Joffrey with the Portland pick and add right. a piece? Right. A piece. We always talk about a piece. Yeah. You know, to make the playoffs. I think it's a dangerous move. I, I think you, as painful as it is for folks like me who buy those season tickets, I think you got to give it one more year. Okay. I think, I think adding guys to go for an eighth seed is a stupid decision. And I'd rather... I'd rather miss one more playoffs but be set up for playoff winning seasons later. That's just my two cents. I feel like I know exactly what Joffrey is, and he's not a rotation piece on any type of contending mm. team. So I feel like i, I got to get feel for him. This is the last thing, guys. and we've, We're kind of reflecting on the season here, and, and there's, there's one thing we haven't talked about that should be talked about, and, and that is that the Nuggets are last, and, and not last by a little bit, but last by a long shot in attendance this year. Andy, you were at almost every game this year. You saw there were games where – I don't know that we had 5,000 people in the stands. Um, the, the players hate it. The coach has mentioned it on, on several mm-hmm. occasions. 
what is it? Is it just as simple as that? We've been bad for three years, and the and the fans will return when when we're good again. Uh, it has a lot to do with it, <laughs> unfortunately. I mean, look at altitudes of viewership. I mean, the rumor I'm hearing is that they went from 45,000 viewers a game in George Carl's last season down to 15. So that means <gasps> two-thirds of their wow. viewers have stopped watching the games. That's a huge plummet. Um, winning helps. Denver's a fickle basketball town. Let's be frank about it. You know, we're not Oakland. You know, the Warriors, I think they were near sellouts for those 18 years where they made the playoffs one time. You know, so right. they, you know they, yeah. they're just a basketball town. We're not a great basketball town. Um, we heard from a Nuggets, um, some, some folks that worked at the Nuggets, that they are um, in the top third in ticket prices, which I thought was BS. So I looked it up. And according to a couple sites I stumbled onto, we are near the bottom third. I'm sorry, top third, but the bottom of the top third in average ticket prices, which is ludicrous. There's right. not enough money in this market, especially when you're competing with, you know, Denver's the smallest city in the United States to have five professional sports teams. So right. what's my point? My point is low price, wide reach. They've got to stop trying to get the Highlands Ranch moms right, to right. spend a fortune on season tickets for the family of four and schlep them all the way down. They have 7 o'clock starts, which is so stupid. Right. Because if you get off work, there's no way you can navigate from the southern part of Denver to the Pepsi Center and get to the game on time with your family. No chance. But if you do a 7.30 start, families can't go. They've got to go for a low price, wide reach, and what I would call a millennial marketing strategy. <laughs> Denver is the number one city in the United States for millennials. We have all these kids right. coming here, working in the pot business, working in the Some energy new business, industries working in new technology, cool. working yeah. in health technology. I'm on the front lines of it here in Rhino. I get to the stadium from my front door in Rhino in seven minutes via car. <laughs> Why aren't they doing bike share? Why aren't they doing, if you ride your bike, your ticket's 30% off? Why aren't they doing everything possible to get the millennials in there? Why aren't they serving craft beer and foodie options on the main concourse? Get the millennials in there, lower the prices, make it a great, great party, make it a great atmosphere for young people. And if the Highlands Ranch moms decide they want to be there, that's gravy. You know, you mentioned millennials, which is a big part of what's making up the city. I mean, this city's changing. You said you're at the front sure. line of it. This city, the demographic of the city of Denver is changing, and the people that live in and around Pepsi Center and the neighborhoods directly touching it. Another thing that's changing is it's transplants. It's people from other sure. from other yeah. cities, and I wonder. That's why Atlanta's a shitty sports town. <laughs> and I wonder is there a way to change that because, you know, I obviously know a ton of transplants, a ton of people that come from other cities. They're very passionate uh, about their baseball teams and their, and their football team. Is there a, is there a chance to grab? You mentioned lower ticket prices. If if the if the Pepsi Center is the fun cheap option on a Friday night. Is there a chance to grab some people that are moved here recently and are laying down roots here in the city? I think so. I think, I mean, look at, just go go a few blocks over to uh, Coors Field. I mean, that place is obviously rocking. And, and when you think about it, there's, if you want to go to a Coors Field or to a game, a Rockies game at Coors Field, you can spend six bucks and get a rock pile ticket, and then it's all about the atmosphere. So I think, yeah, that it has a lot to do with that ticket price, but also, uh, like, like, like Andy, Andy's saying, you got to make it an experience. you gotta you got to market to the demographic and and get those people in there not so much to watch basketball not so much the basketball junkies Correct. but people who want the experience just want a fun night out are nuggets games fun i mean if you take we, we like basketball we like the nuggets they're fun for us but if you try to look past that are nuggets games a fun event see i think that's okay so i know the nba i've heard you know bill simmons did a great podcast with david stern and he called him out on, on the nonsense which as i call the laser show and a basketball right. game happens to break out I think that, you know, millennials are too cool for school. They don't want to shake their keys right. starting in the right. fourth quarter. Right. Okay? Yeah. They don't need T-shirts thrown in their faces. Like, right. they don't need all of this chazarai. It's a Yiddish word for just nonsense. <laughs> like, they don't need it. Okay? And I think that the, the game needs to be a beer-drinking, foodie, millennial party. Right. That's what it needs to be. And, uh, yes, the demographic in Denver is changing, but Denver, unfortunately, and I do mean this well sincerely, unfortunately, it's getting a lot whiter. Um, we're getting an increase in Hispanic population, but the African-American folks that have a rich tradition in Denver and really made Denver a vibrant, diverse place are moving. Right. Um, and they're moving to suburbs, and they're not as... It's, the Pepsi Center is, unfortunately, not as accessible to the African-American community. So... We're sort of getting more urban, but we're getting a lot more yuppified, you know, <laughs> right. in, in the Caucasian category. Um, so, but you got to appeal to those guys. That's who's living downtown. Um, I think you got to just make it a, an affordable party, make it a rock and roll. T uh, sorry, I don't think it's rock and roll. Was it's the eighties? You know, <laughs> make it just make it like a great party. And you know, and Pepsi Center 
doesn't do it. Well, the team hasn't done itself any favors by not winning. I mean, that was a dynamic place a couple of seasons ago. They lost three home games. It's like the second, third best home record ever in NBA history. Right. Pepsi Center being in the middle of a parking lot doesn't help Correct. at all. And I think that, you know, uh, I hope Stan Kroenke's listening, but the fact that they bought, I'm sure he's not. The fact <laughs> that they bought Elitch's, which is many, many, many acres of amusement park. There's a reason why amusement parks are in the middle of nowhere right, in most cities. They're right. not the highest and best land use. Right. You've got riverfront development, Pepsi Center, build around Pepsi Center, put the retail, put the hotels, put the food and beverage, and there, that, to me, is when it will all coalesce and all come together into a great experience. You know, when you go to the, uh, a Clippers or a Lakers game, or you go to a Knicks game, or you go to a Bulls game, or you go to a Raptors game, you go to a Grizzlies game. All these other markets, their stadium is anchored by all this really cool stuff happening around it. We have a stadium in the middle of a parking lot. Correct. Yeah, and I think you hit it. that for me is such a big thing. And I think you hit the the nail on the head that millennials don't want to shake their keys for a sponsorship or. or, or I got to say one more thing, sure. and then and then we should, I know we need to wrap up. Um, the colors enough. <laughs> all right, we're not the UCLA Bruins. Enough for the powder blue. Okay. No one wants to wear a powder blue T-shirt. Okay, enough. Let's go back to royal blue. Let's go back to a dark blue like we'd had in the 80s. Let's look, let's, let's look at getting the rainbow trim involved somehow. Let's get our old font back. Enough with this boxy, bulky, cartoonish font and powder blue. Enough. Zach, Andy, thank you guys so much for joining us on this first edition of the Pig Axe Podcast. A lot of fun, a lot of good discussion here. It was a fun year uh, for us that follow the team very closely, and uh, I look forward to talking to you guys a lot more throughout the summer. from Safeway. Are you ready for a road trip? You can save on gas by shopping at Safeway. It's easy. Shop at Safeway and earn gas reward points. Then save up to 20 cents per gallon at participating Chevron or Texaco stations or up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations. That's right, up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations just for shopping with us. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Limited to 25 gallons in a single fill-up. Other restrictions and exclusions apply. Visit store or Safeway.com for details. This is Susan from Safeway and we'll see you soon. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions.